Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. So, <laughs> it's been um, it's been a while, but but I hear a giggle in there. Somebody that we haven't had on for a while. I'm sorry. So I no. was sick, and then I had Gen Con, and then I had Con Crud, and Overtime. So you had Origins. You didn't have Gen Con yet. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, but I have been. I, I'm sorry. I'm already putting shit together for for Gen Con. I apologize for that. Oh, I understand. You're revealing the fact that you're a time traveler. You gotta watch that. Damn it! Yay, Mel's back. Well, considering this is going to be coming out in the future, anyways, you know. It's true. No time paradox there, but uh, yeah, it, Origins is awesome. I all of our listeners out there, go at least once. Yeah. Well, you'll get hooked, you know, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's a lot of fun. There was, there was some really, really, really interesting, uh, uh, panels. I got, and I got hooked on a card game and I ran two, uh, unscheduled, unplanned, uh, unofficial, uh, little fierce games. I was only going to run one. It was only supposed to be for three people. Uh, I ran two for over ten people each. All of them that were new. After the first game, <laughs> wow. after the first game, this is you know, I'm like, all right, you you fought the monster. You're back at camp. Everything's good. First thing out of everyone's mouths. Can we play tomorrow night? <laughs> what the deuce? That's awesome. I was. I've never had that happen in my life. Well, hey, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, now it meets people's expectations, but. No, yeah. The thing is, I I keep Steve's character around, kind of almost as a Deus Ex Machina to kind of pull the plot, move the plot because of how he built his character. I can use him like that. Yeah. It ended up they have with him. They have created a whole nother plot of getting his character's soul back. That's funny. We were not expecting that. It, it was like this was this was a character I could pull in. He could show up anywhere because of just the nature of what he is. So I'm like, yeah, this will work and. Nope. Nope. Now it's like, oh my gosh, they they're they're hell bent on fixing him. Yeah, it was weird. He had it, it, there were the the we we had um, holy crap. We 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 had like the um, deniable assets, neo anarchist podcast. You, you name it. It's just like everyone and their brothers just wanted to play. I'm like, crap. <laughs> Yeah, makers, left and right. I'm telling you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So if you guys are ever at a con I'm at, this might happen again. So fair warning. <laughs> and I might yeah. drag you assholes into it too. What? 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. Well, I mean, you might make me run one of my favorite games that nobody plays or runs anymore if you do that. Refs? Street Fighter. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like more of a Street Fighter option. I don't know Street Fighter. <laughs> Most people have not played Street Fighter. I know, I know the anime, I know the game, all that. I didn't know, I don't know the uh, game system to play it's, Street Fighter. It's World of it's Darkness. Based off, yeah, World of Darkness storytelling system from the 90s. What, you mean the old D10 one? Uh-huh. Nice. Existed for all of six books. Well yeah. and truly out of print. It is uh, a lot of fun, and I've talked about it on a card catalog, and one of the things to point out is one of the 90s luminaries of RPGs, Nigel Findlay, contributed fiction and work to it, among other people. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there were a lot of people that were, well, because it was part of the, the... The diaspora after, let's say, I mean, the... the Storytelling system is partially based off of the D6 system that FASA was using for Shadowrun. Tom Dowd was yeah. working with FASA and then ended up going over with White Wolf and helped them develop and kind of refine the system. But blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Different topic, different time. <laughs> yeah. No, Hi. Needless to say, the two systems have, have leached off of each other for a decade. That's still worth it. Oh, yeah. So... But what tonight. else have you guys been up to, though? We know what we know what Jules has been up to. So, uh, yeah. No, what so, have you been up to? What, what's tonight's the catch up night, and then the super secret special topic. Well, yeah, cherries. That's easy. I have been uh been spending the last two weeks on the first uh, in Final Fantasy XIV's latest expansion, Shadowbringers. Uh, uh, Any good? It's their best expansion ever. Uh, probably one of the best Final Fantasy stories that has come out. Not the best, but pretty up there. Nice. Uh, lots of lots of subversion of tropes and kind of you know surprising you with different things, and also honoring some tropes that some people don't always get right. So nice. Mm-hmm. That happens. <laughs> And uh, and uh, a preview for the uh, the closing remarks. I, I'm going to be talking about that some more later because <laughs> I could get into it right now, but I'm not. <laughs> Fun, fancy. Mm-hmm. Fun. So How about you two. Aside from uh, uh, we know you partially zen birthday boy, old what? man. I'm not old. Well, yeah, actually, I am. <laughs> Kind of nice okay. not being the old one in the group. No, I am like among all of my friends, I'm generally the oldest. Same here. I am usually the youngest, but I'm technically the oldest. Usually that's me, so I'm more than happy to have someone else be the oldest. Yeah. Yep. I I, I did. I had a birthday. Like almost two weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, but it's the first time we've recorded since then. It is. Yeah. It is. I I don't really worry too much about my birthday because like a week later, I got my birthday present one year, which was my daughter's birthday. Uh. <laughs> I wanted her to be born on my birthday. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wanted for my birthday present, but my wife just failed horribly to. Uh... Nah, it's better this way. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> it is. Okay. 
it just makes it really stressful because when you have, you know, two birthdays that are a week apart like that, it makes it hard to, you know, make each one feel special. So, but that's beside the point. That's neither here nor there. But, yeah, so I did that. But I also might be starting up, well, okay, technically it was before my birthday, but we finished the first book for the AP that we were running that's on the alternating weeks. So we just finished, and I want to say, hold on, I'll, I'll pull it up because it's absurd. So we have, we just released episode 12, and we just finished recording episode 32. Yay! (laughs) So there's 20 more episodes coming. But when that happened, we started doing the, you know, over the last couple of, Sessions, we were like, well, what are we going to do next? And if you were a patron, you got a, a, a little glimpse because I kind of read through on our monthly chat the what that game is going to be. And I'm going to keep that in reserve for a little while still. But needless to say, it is not Pathfinder. It's Fate. I'll give you that much. Gonna be awesome. Yeah, but we're doing um we're doing all of the the character creation. We're we we are doing it regular, and then what we're doing is we're gonna re- sit down and record like, oh, this is my you know, this is for aspect one. This is for, you know, the story elements that you have to do and who got what connections for that. So we're going to record all of that as one thing so that people can see how that works. So. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're, we're going to do. But we have a... Big old pile of things for this episode that's not just me rambling. Now, if you've been listening to Seize the GM for a while, and if you have, we thank you. And and if you haven't, welcome. Please go back and listen to the back catalog. You'll know that every once in a while we like to stop and do a library setting, an episode where each of us takes and talks about a couple of books that every good GM ought to have in their library. Darn tootin'. Mm-hmm. But we thought this time we should switch it up a little. That's the segue where I'm handing yes. it off to someone else. <laughs> and, and this, so so we we decided that instead of doing, you know, those. I I mean, like I know for me, I chose things that kind of catered to a couple of different, like ideas because movies can build so much and so many people already have movies in their mm. in their mm. just normal everyday life 
you know, between what they go and see in the theaters to what they have in their homes to what they're streaming and watching. So if you haven't figured it out, we're doing a video library this time. We're going to talk about movies that you should have in your repertoire as a GM. And no series – well, no TV series. We might do another one that's like a TV series one, but that'll be maybe a later – one, but I do want to uh, touch on that. Quietly in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Movies, but, okay. Yeah, movies, but the TV series. It's like, and the, well, it doesn't always have to be TV series. It's just as long as any series, it could be anime or. Well, those Netflix. are still. Anime and, is a kind of TV series. Yeah, it just depends on where you're at. I mean, in Japan, that is a TV series. So it is still a TV series. It's just but, different. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Movies. Just and uh, before we get started, I uh, will like say, probably expect some spoilers. Probably not try to do too bad on them, but we might get into a little bit. Just slight warning on the front end. Yeah, so uh, yeah. When, when we name the uh, movie we're talking about, if you haven't seen it and want to avoid spoilers, which is possible, uh, we have movies that are... As old as, what, 70 years old? And as yeah. new as two? So we got a broad range here. Uh, just hit that fast forward, skip ahead button a couple of minutes, and yeah. we'll, we'll uh, let you come back. But, Noel, I'll go ahead and let you kick it off and give us what's a movie that you think good GM should have in their library and why. So, the movie Moana of two years ago from Disney. So, what? <laughs> Nothing. It's you, awesome. You, you it is, love this movie. You, you were like, you need to see this I, like as soon as you saw it. I'm yeah. in love with this movie. It's a fantastic movie. I'm going to get straight to why I think it's important for a GM to have this, or at least why I think it's a good tool for a GM to have this. So, what this movie does really well that a GM can learn is... Having a very diverse skill set of characters and having a plot that – a story and plot that can cater to all of those characters' strengths. You have you know, the uh, title character, Moana, who – she's not a big heavy fighter you know, like Maui who is you know, a warrior god. Yeah. But she's not helpless in the film. She's not by herself. She's – has challenges that she can address with her skill set, with her capabilities, that Maui, with his capabilities, cannot, and vice versa. Both of them have a place in their campaign. And so I like this film for that sake, that you have a diverse group of characters who can handle that different type of thing. It's also a pretty good study of you know a character trying to decide the whole hero's journey thing, but I think a couple of our films will probably... Get to that as well. <laughs> so I didn't want to go too deep to that because we'll all get there. I'm pretty sure one of the library t- one of the library books we've talked about before is The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So yes, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I fun. know it is. <laughs> so all right. Oh yeah. Oh, and FYI, that's uh, one thing about Moana, which I thought was actually really really cool, is well, one, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, since he voiced it, but the thing is, he actually, the the body type, you know, the physical of the, the character of Maui is based on his grandpa, oh. 
which I thought was kind of neat. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So they, and the thing is, you know, the, the, and since The Rock is, you know, it's th- that whole, I mean, they actually brought in people like Hawaiian and, and, you know, the whole Polynesian culture mm-hmm. to voice. And I thought that was kind of cool. It was a little extra, just, but it, it, it's funny because it's The Rock, and then you just, it, it's like, okay, guys, and then all of a sudden you just see a couple of little bits of some of The Rock's characters come into it, but it's, it, but it doesn't break the immersion, which I thought was brilliant for Disney. So it kind of, it just, they had bits in that that made you smile too. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I'm a voice acting nut, so that's what it made for me. <laughs> Sorry, no. no Didn't mean to yep. you know, break. Hey, no problem. Trust me. This is uh, covering the same ground I covered when I believe this was one of my, uh, you know, closing remarks. That it was. Quite and some there's nothing time wrong with it, baby. So. nothing wrong with it. Well, Jules, that sounds like a perfect handoff for you to talk about uh, the first one on your list. Oh, bite me, fanboy. <laughs> All right. For me, I, I decided to go with uh, Brazil. One, it is the only movie. I have ever seen that has Robert De Niro playing a rogue air conditioner repairman. I'm sorry. Just one. It, it is. It is a brilliant mind screw of absurdity. You know, it, it's. You know, it's that whole kind of. It, it takes something you you would think you would see. You know, uh, in George Orwell or like maybe even Cory Doctorow's Big Brother kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, or, or like George Orwell, and again, Big, in 1984 and Big Brother and stuff like that. But it takes it to a, a much more mindscape, uh, visual, visual wise and sure. aesthetic wise, but it takes it, Rather than going even darker, Gillum decides to go more absurd, which, in my opinion, that's what I like. You know, it, it's, you know, you pay for your own, and I'm using bunny rabbit ears in, uh, around this interrogation, a.k.a. torture, you know, and you, you're invoiced for it, which is kind of messed up. But then you see, like, but the way that they display that, I mean, if you saw in George Orwell, it would be dark and kind of like heavy, heavy, squishy. You know, it's just like it, it's it's much more uh, weight on your back rather than this kind of is punching you in the head, making you shake your head, go, what? Versus, you know, it's absurd versus heavy. And they're able to deal with that kind of insanity. And just the visuals are gorgeous. It's, oh, I. I, I mean, it's Terry Gilliam. And, yeah. and so, you know, you if you know anything about Terry Gilliam, you know what you're getting into. It, it's. One of my favorite movies, and it's if you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself. It's a fantastic dystopia. It's a beautiful movie, absolutely stunning the way it's put together. Uh, and you may recognize it because it's got some you know thematic similarities to some of his other works. <coughs> Time Bandits, Baron <laughs> <laughs> Munchausen, yeah. oh, Monkeys. Just, uh, just, just to name a there, few. <laughs> I was actually thinking about putting Time Bandits on. My list, <laughs> so <laughs> I do find that amusing. Hey, yeah. look, I, I didn't put one of the other movies I could have put on my list. I'm saving it for next time, but that's just because 
Zen still hasn't watched it, even though he should. Uh, I uh, know. I, I I did this too, also, but this was my my first um, introduction to, uh, to Gilliam. Uh, it was it was a my husband and I read this way back in the day. Rented it from Blockbuster. And before, <laughs> this this is before you were married, so this is like we rented it from Blockbuster. We popped it in the VCR. I mean, this one Blockbuster was the thing. It, it was. And that's what introduced me to uh, Gilliam, and then you know it's been it's been awesome ever since. Yes. So for those of you young listeners out there, there was a time when there was not digital distribution of movies, and you had to go physically acquire a copy from a store. There was even a time before discs were used for laser encoding, which is why we're talking about cassettes and VCRs. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you beat Let's, me to it because I was I was going to do this. See, <laughs> though that's not entirely true because I remember the original laser disc. Brazil predates the original laser disc. Yes, but I remember mm-hmm. it. Ex- I remember that and Betamax. Well, yeah, but so, that's a different that's different conversation. Yeah, yeah, different conversation. I know, but yes, there are there are those of us that do remember those old formats. So, speaking of old and obscure formats, then go. <laughs> oh, God, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah, okay. old man. All right, so we're gonna go old here. We're gonna go with Name of the Rose, which you. Everyone should see this movie because it is it is a very unique take on a mystery that has Sean Connery. It has um oh gosh, Christian Slater. <laughs> you want my? Oh thing. yeah, Christian Slater's in it as his his apprentice. And Ron Perlman. And Ron Perlman as... as he never turns down work. No, but this movie is... Um, he he plays a very interesting role, but we're just going to leave it at that. But it's, it's not just that it's a murder mystery. It's a murder mystery within a very, very tight, confined location of a medieval monastery. Abbey. Well, yeah, it's technically an abbey there, but... That's it all takes place inside of there and it shows to what extent people will go to hide things. Oh, yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about it, because that movie has some amazing scenes in it that to this day I still use Mm -hmm. when I'm describing things. Based on a novel by Umberto Eco. Uh, it's actually, mm-hmm. you know, I think the first Echo novel I ever read. And then so after you see the movie, you can read the novel and you can probably understand a little more about poor old Gardemorje here and, and how my brain fits together. And so if you know about Echo, you already know some of what's going to go on. Uh, you already know some of what's going to be in there. What is or isn't real and what is or isn't true is going to be a recurring theme, as kind of been hinted at. And it's uh, chock full of illusions and layered meaning, uh, which is, you know, just one of those wonderful, wonderful questions that helps a GM, you know, kind of address 
imagery and philosophical questions. Yeah. Which is part of why I chose what I chose. Which is? You know that segue works. Uh, the first one I'm going to use is Rashomon. You have used ideas and concepts from Rashomon, even if you didn't realize it. Directed by Akira Kurosawa, this is the movie that, based on a book, is most known and regarded for telling one story through four different points of view. The way of finding the truth is not omniscient third-party view, but instead, when testifying at a murder trial, what is true between the four different recollections, the four different views of the murder that occurred? And that is conceptually something that you'll see a lot of in all sorts of media today, but also as a storyteller, as a GM – that's something that you can keep in mind how the actions that are occurring can be viewed by other people. And so how do your NPCs react to the PCs? How do they remember what happened? How do your PCs remember what happened? And the ability to work with perspective and, you know, of course, the fact that it's Toshiro Afuni and, and you just say, holy Hannah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have this on my list of things that I can, um, I'm going to watch because I can, I can download them to my phone with an app that I have. <laughs> so yeah, that is on my list of, of movies that I'm, I'm going to start putting on my phone to watch. It's yeah. Me how many films that are on the list of all that I have seen, but I didn't remember the names of. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yep. So. So I'm tagging out to the next person on the list, but this time, since, you know, we had Noel kick it off, uh, I'm just gonna go down the list and say, Jules, you get to go second. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of like like Ron Perlman in 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 Zen's one, I am going with City of Lost Children. It is another kind of mind screw. Uh, one FYI, the movie is in French. It is subtitled, so those of you that hate reading probably are not going to enjoy it. But ça fait rien. Eh, eh. One, this is awesome because Ron Perlman does not speak French or didn't at the time, and he learned all of his lines, what they meant, and he learned the lines phonetically. So that was really cool. And pretty much it's, you know, it's kind of, if you break all the other kind of surreal elements away from it, it's the story of a big brother going to find his little brother who's been kidnapped by a horrible, evil kind of cult thing. All right, very simple plot. But there's all these very interesting, surreal elements and ideas about uh, what are dreams, what's reality, you know. And just the, the characters in there are just fantastic. And, you know, it's it's... Imagine if... With all an adult, if you took the concept of children's nightmares and put it into an adult's head when they're sleeping to have them just 
and have their brain kind of run wild with it, you get City of Lost Children. The aesthetic is, it's, it is kind of like the whole dark gray dystopian like, but it's, has a, you know, more, I would say more steampunk aesthetic, I guess, the best way to put it. Lots of gears. <laughs> Lots of gears. Yeah. But the story, the story is good. It, Ron Perlman is much, much younger. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun. And I recommend it. You know, nice. it's, 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 you know, it's not something you always get a chance to watch. And, you know, it's, it's not something, you know, it's not your summer blockbuster. And you gotta kind of be in the mood for it. So if you're in the mood for something that's just very weird, but has a really good story, yeah. Okay. Next, call it. No, go. Okay. <laughs> so I, I know we said it was just movies and and not just series and TV series and animated TV series, but I'm kind of cheating because I picked Cowboy Bebop the movie. That's not cheating. Is, it's not no. cheating. It's just because it spawned from a series. And FYI, music. Music! Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, I am kind of cheating because I'm going to reference the series as I talk about this. <laughs> that's why I'm cheating. So, oh, that's um, why you're cheating, yes. That's why I'm cheating. So, okay. So, I wanted to bring this movie up because it's kind of a, a little bit of the inverse of my first one where I kind of talk where everybody has kind of role, where the movie kind of focuses in on one character while having the rest of the party kind of serve as support for that. It's a good example of having, again, people using their strengths and helping them in the roles that they can do while giving a character a chance to kind of explore their past a bit more, explore their events a bit more, and their kind of growth as a character. It's the example of if you have, say, a character in Shadowrun who is going through a metaplanar quest, you can have the other party members, you know, assist by taking over other NPCs or things like that, just to kind of change the scenery of what is the normal campaign to have a side story. Yeah. You know, whereas the, you know, the normal copy of series is all about, you know, each character has their moments and strengths and things like that. The movie kind of takes a sidestep, kind of focusing on one character's personality and kind of letting the other characters support that, but still focusing in on that persona. Not necessarily something I would recommend for every campaign session, because if only one person is getting the action all the time, it's kind of bad. But it's yeah. nice to have those little sessions of, you know, focus on one person, see what they can do, but make sure you kind of spread those sessions out. Sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a theory about, you know, personality tests based on your favorite character and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to link my Facebook account for that, do I? No, no. I, just, I, I have a suspicion I'm going to be in a distinct minority and when we do when we do that it would explain many, many things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, FYI for Cowboy View out the movie, the seatbelts do return for the most amazing soundtrack. Because <laughs> yep. if you if you want that just 
big, almost like big brassy jazz. It's ah. Yeah. Well, there's a element here I'll bring up with my third film that um (laughs) that does tie into the Cowboy Up movie. And but like I'll get to my third movie and then I'll bring it back to here. So yeah, hold up on that. Okay. 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 Since I know Zen is not going to want to go, I will go ahead and do my second. <laughs> and I started in the past with Rashomon, which was a period piece with Samurai, but I'm going to move to the present and actually recommend a documentary, and that's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It is widely regarded as one of the best shot documentaries of the you know early 2010s, and it's the entire reason why uh, there are entire TV shows on Netflix. In fact, Jiro Dreams of Sushi directly begat uh, more cooking shows than you really want to think of that have even led to memes. But what this does is take a small moment, a small question, and drive a narrative and show how, uh, when we talked about different kinds of campaigns, how micro-conflict can be dramatic. It is about a single sushi master attempting to perfect his art and his relationship with his son. And what that does and doesn't mean and, and how that kind of drive is and is not reflected. And it it shows you how an intimate moment and how something that could be considered kind of a small stakes compared to some of these other movies and stories we're talking about can still create compelling drama and storytelling. Cool. I'll be honest. Uh, uh, unlike most of it, also, I like Philip Glass, and I like the fact that he's a lot of his music, and it really complemented it. It's one of the only times I can say that I have heard Philip Glass work being um, resonant and yes. part of a greater whole. Exactly. I mean, I'll just listen. I, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, it doesn't match. And it's true with a lot of stuff that he's put in doesn't fit. I just like his stuff, you know, kind of a la carte. But I was surprised how well it fit with the documentary. It was sweet. Cool. All right. End of the second round there now, Zen. You can't dodge anymore. Oh, I can't. And it, that was partly because I was coughing like crazy that nobody's going to hear. Naughty. Um, I want such a bully later. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this movie that I'm going to list next was trashed by critics and by a lot of other people, including fans of – because this was a – comic that was made into a movie and that is there's uh, a lot of those yes but this is valerian and the city of a thousand planets Ooh. this was originally a french comic that is massive in its world building and it's it's this cop who is trying to handle a problem that's going on, but it's all of the little bits of all of these worlds that the, that this premise 
place takes and sets itself in. And the city is basically a huge refugee camp for alien species. And it's literally a thousand different worlds have all collided in this one moving location through space. And the amount of world building that went into the visuals for this movie is amazing because each place feels unique that they go to. And it feels like you could just take any one of these one pieces, pull it out and do something with it because they spent so much on like the visuals of what it all looked like. And again, this is one where you're pulling all of these little pieces to help describe the world the characters are involved in. And if you can see this and then try to describe that to players, that is a really easy way to do it, is watch something like this that is just, I mean, it's kind of off the wall bonkers, but everybody was like, it's it's convoluted. It doesn't make any sense. It's all over the place. It's like, it may be, but it still did exactly what it set out to do. And I don't think that the critics actually understood what it was that they were seeing. I, I don't know if I completely agree with you on there, but I will absolutely <laughs> agree with you about in terms of visual, cultural presentation. That film is phenomenal. It is visual candy. Mm-hmm. Like there are all these little oh, tiny things that that you can see uh, probably have meaning to those species that have meaning to. It doesn't go to because it's a film, so we don't really have time necessarily to handle every single nuance. Right. But it is it is a beautiful visual library to pull from. Yeah. And that's basically what it is. And and even in the, the comic, from what I understand, because I haven't read it, because it's a massive series. If I'm if if I'm correct, I, I may be wrong on that, but from what I heard, it's a huge series. But it's so there's so much to it that they basically tried to compress a whole big thing into a two and a half hour long movie, which, as we all know, you can't do that. Not without losing a lot. Yeah, not without losing a lot. Well, and that's okay. That that's the nature of different media. But right. you've got to make conscious choices, and I don't think they made good conscious choices. Well, the choice for some of the actors and such were yeah, that, were there. That, the director, I blame more. But I agree. I agree. <laughs> Visual candy. Go watch it. Yeah. I actually would like to springboard off of that to my third film. Go for it. So... I picked the Matrix um, for a similar reason. Um, I like the Matrix for the sake of presenting two worlds and keeping that description in mind when you're presenting two related but but very different worlds. The, how you have in the Matrix the you you know inside the Matrix itself everything has this green kind of spent tint. You know, whereas everything in the real world has this blue tint of just 
you know, just kind of haphazard put together kind of thing. And it's, to me, a good representation of trying to keep setting as a character, which I think, you know, Zen's your choice did the exact same thing. It's character in both of those films, the setting is the character. It's, yeah. it's important to remember that description as you're presenting it to the players. You know, it, whether you're showing, you know, a scrappy group of survivors after, you know, the, the robotic apocalypse and what their ship is like and, you know, what the food is like and what the smells are like, you know, and trying to keep that setting as a character and how much that helps handles the tone of what your table is going to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, those those settings definitely were were standalone characters. Mm. And and I I have a feeling that I know why everything in the in the matrix was all green tinted because it mm. went back to the old monochrome screens oh, were green. And absolutely. then the real world is a softer version of that. Well, we can talk about, you know, light design and lighting theory, yeah. but I, I actually want to tag in here off of The Matrix because the third one I picked, which was my one from the past to the present to the future, uh, is the Ghost in the Shell 1995 animated movie, which mm. is believed to have directly inspired a chunk of The Matrix, especially <laughs> some of the visuals. Oh, gosh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I, I kind of feel like I have to tag in here. Um, looking in the future, Ghost in the Shell is probably one of the iconic examples of a cyberpunk future and a, a cyber dystopia. And just like The Matrix, it also focuses on questions of identity and, and what it means, again, to be real, seeing some similar themes here. Yeah. And more than that for this, and I'll also say look at The Matrix, it can show you how to describe stylized action scenes in ways that will permanently enter your players' minds. Uh, there are scenes out of Ghost in the Shell and individual scenes out of The Matrix that you probably can close your eyes and remember right now. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, after you see it, you will remember it, and you will remember some of those scenes because they have a visceral quality or a sleek quality that is absolutely stunning. And you'll see a lot where GMs will let players describe their kill shots or describe how they end a fight, mm -hmm. or the GM will take over and do a little narrative components these are movies that can show you how, or at least give you a mental image of what you can try to describe. Uh, I mean, there were scenes that they straight up replicated for the live action Ghost in the Shell movie, which we're not discussing at this time, uh, including the, the uh, fight in the water while the uh, refract, that's a refractive light camouflage is on the major. Yeah. You see the movie? This will make sense, and you're going to go, yeah, that literally set the stage for the next 25 years of movies trying to emulate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and so. Yep. And, but, and here's the, and this is going to, like I said, I noticed this 
because goddamn you music background. <laughs> the thing that was actually kind of cool also is they combined very old style of Japanese music and they fused it with kind of modern. It's like the the drum and the vocals were were old, but the the but the other sound creation that they put in there was very modern and futuristic. And it's like the soul is eternal and is ancient, et cetera, et cetera, with the modern stuff. It's it's a very interesting. They did the 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 soundscaping on that was very good. I feel like that entire movie kind of shaped a lot of what we think of the cyberpunk genre in general. Visually, yeah. Well, audibly as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, audially, I, I think it is the strongest contender for having created the soundscape that was applied into the early 2000s. And honest, different Thanks. discussion, put a pin in it, but geez, <laughs> yeah. I want to think about how that fusion may have led to the creation of stronger breakbeat and drum and, that's a drum and bass, yeah. uh, electronic dance music. <laughs> but speaking of, Jules, I think you've got a really good uh, third movie to kind of chain off of the Matrix and Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got Fifth Element. Uh, one, it's com- it is a futuristic, I, I don't want to say fully dystopian, but it's kind of like, all right, everything's, it shows not like this whole sterile thing. The future world is dirty, and they have that, um, but um, it is action-based, there's a, and the thing is, like, there's a lot of use of color, and it starts, and it starts out in like ancient Egypt, and then it moves to the, you know, way future, you know, with flying cars and all that other cool stuff. And one, it's really awesome because the flying car scene, when there is a car chase, it's not just that 2D stuff. No, they actually did a 3D scene going up and down, as well as a horizontal car chase and hiding and stuff. It was awesome. I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it was also, it was interesting in the fact it was, you know, um, you know, it, it's, you know, find the MacGuffin, save the world kind of a thing. But there's one scene in it um, where, you know, the main badass played by, uh, you know, the, the main, you know, protagonist is played by Bruce Willis, and he's sitting there watching an opera performance. And he's watched, and he's transfixed by just the beauty of it, but at the same time, the female protagonist is in another room, absolutely annihilating the, you know, like these people that are ransacking a room, trying to find the MacGuffins that... <laughs> you know, that they're looking for. But it's that dichotomy where you see the guy that is a gun-wielding military badass of everything else having a very emotional moment where the, you know, the the female protagonist, who usually, you you know, she's getting back up to speed, trying to learn all this stuff, is, you know, and has had a lot of emotional moments trying to, you know, figure out herself is just going into full badass mode. Yeah. Which is... Uh, absolutely amazing. I the soundtrack is great, and the you know it, it's like the the characters, everybody is you know, and the thing is like there's a couple of little callbacks to other sci-fi's like 
there's uh, one character you see her. Uh, it, she's only for a little bit second, but you see her outfit like, oh my god, Princess Leia let herself go. Mm-hmm. But there's there's little. Th- these aren't like Easter eggs, but they're kind of shout outs. You know, to to other. I want to say almost uh, science fantasy ish, and it's not all serious. There's funnies. There's quotes. It's like the one of the best quotes is negative. I am a meat popsicle, which is I. I mean, we still you still quote that movie, you know, and it's it's memorable. It's fun. The action scenes are good. You know, there's just goofiness. You know, and just you know, and you you get the great Bruce Willis one liners. You know, yeah. Well, one of the things I absolutely love about that film, and, and this is something the game has to keep in mind, is that the protagonist and the main antagonist never cross paths. They never mm-hmm. are in the same scene directly. Like they're never directly in front of each other. Going, I will defeat you, big bad guy. I will defeat you, yeah. hero. Just, Which is amazing. Yeah. Although I'll be honest, but here's the thing: it kind of it was like Gary Oldman and Bruce Willis. You know, play the the bad guy and good guy respectively. We're kind of upset. They're like, I wanted to meet him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they 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 would have played, and the thing is, like, you know, they would have played off each other so well. But they, but the thing is, like, how it was done like that. But it, it was kind of like they they were like, you know, and, and here's the thing is like the the horrible, evil, um, big bad. You know, is that is they actually don't give the whole thing a whole shit ton of details as to what the horrible, evil, malevolent entity is. They just they and there's you know you see pictures of it, but you don't even know exactly what is it of the essence. Is is it like Lavos from Chrono Cross, or is it you know like the Planet Eater? So yeah, that's what I liked. You know, it's <laughs> and the thing is. You didn't need to know. All you need to know that it was a bad guy and it was going to do bad, bad things. That's all you. And it, it's, you know, it it has that, and it has the happy ending, but it doesn't feel chintzy or cheesy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I I, yeah. I recommend it. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, take us home. All right, so. We saved the most controversial for last. <laughs> I wouldn't say it. It's just we we, we saved things uh, for last. Um, it is bright. The the Netflix original. Now, in some ways, this movie is is really interesting. Because it shows, if you were to take basically the the end of the War of the Ring from Lord of the Rings and move it as if it were a real thing that happened and moved forward. Yeah, that's actually a good way of putting it. This is what this movie is. They basically, magic has kind of died because at the end of that, like the elves leave because they understand that magic is dying. So they leave. 
they moved the timeline forward, but they didn't take the elves. They didn't make them leave. It's just that's what they did with it. So, like, the big bad dark is still out there. He was defeated, but it's different. The reason that I like Bright is the orcs in it are, I love them. They are so, they're visceral without being obscene about it. Yes. Actually, and, that's a very good way of, yeah. <laughs> because, I, I mean, you don't have, like, they're, they played them in, and I'm going to say this, and it's not meant in a bad way, but the way they're portrayed in the movie, they're portrayed as how white people generally see the thug society that they view as people of color being. Now, it's not right, but it's kind of a stereotype that they use and they've pushed it onto them. At least in this movie. But that isn't... Like, the story that's going on in it is... It has, in some ways... It's got great world building and is a poorly written, poorly scripted movie. Yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful concept. (laughs) It's a wonderful concept. it's, It's a beautiful idea. That is very poorly executed and very clumsily executed. And I am hoping the sequel takes this world that has great potential and gives me something that I would want to watch a second time. See, yes. whereas what I saw in in a lot of this was, like, if you were playing Shadowrun, take all of the elven locations, make that... Mega Corpse, yo, and yep. it's almost dead on. And everything that the Orc Society has is the like all of the Barons, and then Man is caught in between all of it. It's clumsy. It may be and clumsy. Fully executed. The, the problem I have with the world building is that. It has some interesting concepts, but it tries to, to like staple them onto our world when this is supposed to be a world that evolved with those races the whole time. Yes. Yeah. But see, this is where see, I didn't say that it was great. I said it's good. And it actually works very well if you were using something like Shadowland, because those things no. get no, no. Yes, because no, those things, no. those it races get so stapled on top of an, yes, a world it's that so exists. It doesn't do a good job of trying to tell an allegory for modern society and does nothing more than feed clumsy, stereotypical tropes that don't enhance a story. It's a good example of what not to do. It's a good example of how not to achieve certain goals in your storytelling, for, in my opinion. Unless that's what you're trying to do. Because stereotypes exist for a reason. I'm not saying that they're right. I'm saying that they exist for a reason. 
Because humans are mentally lazy and fear the unknown. Yes. But everyone still uses stereotypes. All GMs use them. You have to. We are going to have a different conversation <laughs> at a different time. Yes. But that's why this movie, it can do certain things, but it doesn't do them well. And I will concede to that. But there's like a, there's like a Lindsay Ellis uh, like video that I need to find a link for for the when we do have that talk. But we're gonna leave that there because we're at almost an hour, guys. Um. So what we're gonna do is those are our. What, 12 movies. movies that we think you should have in your GM movie library. We will revisit this series later and add another dozen movies or so after we maybe run through another uh, hard copy book, you know, actual word printed page book. Uh, <laughs> before then, and we've got some more episodes coming up to record as well. Mm-hmm. If you've got ideas of something you'd like to hear us talk about, something you think would enrich your GMing experience, or maybe answer a particular conundrum you've had running a game, let us know. Because what we haven't done yet is plug the various ways to find us on social media. And if you've listened at all for any length of time, you know I like to do that. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And, and so, if you get the chance, find us on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, Facebook group, Tumblr, which we apparently have, though I don't even play with that one. Yeah, or even just... look for us on Patreon and maybe sign up for Patreon specials and access to the Discord channel. Additionally, you can find all of us through our emails at SeizeTheGM.com, Twitter, Facebook, and yes, yes, Gardemanger now has a Facebook page you can go to, as well as the Instagrams, all of which are linked in the doodly-doo. Yes. Yay! So... With no more contention, let's go ahead and give out our our closing remarks. I'm going to jump in first. Are we going to skip lexicon? Yeah, we're going to yeah. skip lexicon this time. Okay. So I said I was going to talk about uh, Shadowbringers. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> because, gentlemen, uh, Jay, you're, you're the third movie's choice. Your third movie choice. Uh, Ghost and Show remind me of a wonderful video essay that talks about identity in space and uses that movie as a template. Uh, it's by a guy, uh, he goes by Nerdwriter1 on YouTube, and it's a lovely video essay that talks about how space and imagery and how that tells stories in many ways. It, specifies that long segment in Ghost in the Show. Uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time with that. Ghost <laughs> in the Show. <laughs> and one of the segments that you just have those kind of flyover moments in the city from the different perspectives of the people who are city level, things like that. And just, it, it wonderfully expands those scenes. And it'll build on top of the conversation we were having earlier about, you know, setting as a character. So... Definitely check that link out in the doobly-doo, because it's a lovely little video essay. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I'm going to go next, and mine is not, there's no contention in it. So, (laughs) 
So email, call, or text some of your friends and get together and go hang out in like a forest preserve or a state or national park if those are near you. See everything that is out there because there is so much wonder and bounty of life in those that most people just don't think about if they live in a metropolitan area. So, go out and do that. Yeah. Bring some more rule books if that helps convince you. (laughs) (laughs) One, two, three, not it. Ah. All right. For me, um... I realize that because I've been working so much, I haven't had time to cook or anything else like that. And the thing is, I've been watching a lot of just movies or what have you as I, you know, I have it playing in the background as I'm working. And one thing is just like all the food that a lot of the food that they're they're talking about, you know, there's, you know, in, uh, you know, I'll bring up like Once Upon a Time in Mexico, there's Puerto Pibil and in you know, in, um, you know, uh, like in the fifth element, there's a, you know, there's like a, the equivalent of a futuristic food cart, lack of a better term for it, you know, it comes by and I'm like, man, I want to try some of those. So my thing is pick a movie or, or TV show that you really, really like and a food that is featured prominently in it and teach yourself to cook it if it's possible. I have taught myself how to do, um, I actually taught myself how to do a beef hot pot, and I can do a Puerto Rico pretty well. So, I mean, you have to eat, and it'd be kind of neat to figure out, like, you know, it's not just entertainment. Sometimes you can get an idea of what to make for dinner, and I'll be, the beef hot pot, the like the beef stew stuff, I found it keeps really well. So mm-hmm. I can actually have leftovers, which is nice, you know. So, you know, look it up, you know, then, you know, find something that's interesting, something you'd want to try. You know, don't do just because, uh, but if something looks really, really, really interesting and, and of course feasible because, you know, but the, the idea of like the Lambus bread, it's like, all right, people have actually figured out it, how to make a very filling, calorie rich, nutrient rich, um, very, very tasty, uh, Lambus bread. Uh, most people put honey on it. Yeah, you know, figure it out. I mean, you should. I actually did that this week. What, Lambus? No, no. Uh, <laughs> I made Nard Breen, or was it Centauri Rocco balls? It, it, it turns out it's also Swedish meatballs. I actually learned to make that this week for the first <laughs> time, and <laughs> it's all of those things in, in Babylon Five. So <laughs> I say every culture has Swedish meatballs of some kind. In yeah. some way, shape, or form, yeah. So technically, so, I did that. <laughs> so yeah, give it, give it a. Give it a try, guys. It's, it's, you know, it's like my, my first foray into it was learning how to make, uh, Puerto Pibil because Barbara Rodriguez's 50 minute cooking show is pretty freaking awesome. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So find Fine. something and, uh, cook it and then let us know what you made. And I'll be honest. It's like, and if you're anything like me, I overcooked it. And so I'm, you know, so you're going to be made. It's like, ah, oh, bring it to your next gaming session. Feed everybody. So you don't have to deal with all leftovers. Yeah. Egg us home. 
Well, I am going to recommend something kind of similar to what we're, we've talked about in a lot of these movies, which is finding ways to tell stories and what you can learn from it, and similar to what Zen was talking about, about getting together with people face-to-face. If you are so inclined, go take a tour of your local brewery, distillery, or vineyard. Your odds are at this point you've got one of those three near you. There are breweries all over the place, and they have not really slowed down as much as people thought they would. Ask about the story. Uh, ask why it matters. See what the owner or the people will tell you, because you may find a local proprietor with a passion for what they do, and that's going to be something that gives you insight into what motiv- motivates people, and by extension, what can motivate your NPCs. And it helps you see how people tell their own story. So find your local provider and creator of adult beverages, or if you are not so inclined for adult beverages, some other craft or creation that you can get to tour and see how someone who cares deeply for this describes it. Great idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those out by by where I'm, I'm at. Yay. There's something like five microbreweries in town. That's it? That's Yeah. That's like in the area that I work in. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Knoxville's got something like 20 or 25 total, I think. That's that are like right. big. Well, that sounds about right for its size. Yeah. That doesn't include the distilleries or the no, 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 vineyards no. that are in the area. That's just the local brew houses. So, yeah, there's a ton of them. But, so, get out there, guys. Watch some movies. And let us know what kind of movies you watch, you know. Yeah, you, mess, you got all of our social contact information from Garmanger, so don't keep it to yourself. Share it because you might end up giving someone else a really awesome idea. Yeah, yeah. So until next time, folks, roll some dice, have some fun. See you then. Take care. Bye bye. Contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zenged, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. Joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. 
Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.